So I, I named this Stepping Up Into Love. And if, you, if you've read any portion of what I wrote down, you might understand why. Um, so like I said, I wrote some stuff down that the Lord put in my heart. Then I left some uh, Bible verses for us to discuss. And I think I'm going to have all of you partake in that. Amen? So, stepping up in love. I fell in love. Okay, to me, this has been such an enduring, an enduring, an everlasting cliche. Okay? I'm not absolutely sure that it should be falling in love. Um, it's been as used as long as time itself. Um, it basically describes the start of a new romantic relationship, right? Uh, between a man and a woman. Uh, some other terms that are used nowadays are uh, hooking up, we're talking. I don't know that one yet. I don't. That, that one's beyond me. We are going steady. I think most of us might know that one, right? That's kind of from my generation. Um, but you guys don't know that one. <laughs> we're going steady. Uh, but think about it. In my humble opinion, none of these terms aptly describe what a Christian marriage should be based on. Falling into love? Really? Shouldn't we be deciding to fall in love? Deciding to court? Deciding to pursue? This is basically how it happens to us. Wow! You took one look at her or him, took one step forward, stepped on the banana peel and whoop! Fell head over heels in love. We make it sound like it's an accident. Like um, we had nothing to do with it. Like it was just something that fell out of the sky. That might be the issue far in between. But most of the time it's because we saw what we liked and we pursued. Amen? Um, but some of us fell so hard that a screw came loose. We, all, all we could see after that was your angelic face. In this case, my angelic face was my beautiful wife, Eva. Right? I saw stars and I saw butterflies and I was head over heels, fell in love, right? But we all know that uh, after she gave me that candy, she wouldn't date me for four months. So I pursued and I pursued and I pursued until I won her over. So there's really no accidental thing about it. Okay, guys? You get um, butterflies. You get these funny little stomach tickles, lightheaded. You get a loss of appetite for any food whatsoever. And there are no mood-changing drugs that are ever needed during this process. Right? You, you see that person, and, and you're on a high. I see my brother John shaking his head. And that's a good thing. That's a compliment to his wife, right? But um, really, it's, it's, it's a crazy sensation, a crazy feeling. But it's still not aptly described by the word I fell in love. Okay. Uh, sure, this kind of pop culture, this kind of bubblegum, Seventh grade infatuation kind of love. It's nice. It's nice. I got the term bubblegum from an old basketball coach. When as kids, as teeny boppers, we'd listen to, to Earth, Wind, and Fire and things like that. And he said, 
Mr. Barrios, you're listening to bubblegum music. That's what made me think of the term bubblegum. I mean, it's a, it's a childish puppy love, right? Um, it's nice, it's cute, it's even exhilarating at times. But, okay guys, but, we need to get past that. We need to go to a different level. We need to try and understand God's love and God's wants and desires for us as a couple. Okay? You know why? Because we come to a time where we're going to get married. We're going to get married. And that decision involves a lot more than just filling the coochie-coochies. Okay? And all of you who are married, you know that. Joseph and Jessica, those are your names, correct? Right. I got it. <laughs> Joseph and Jessica are going through these things right now. There's, are you guys fiancé? Uh, yeah. You're promised already. Okay. So they've made an important decision. But it's got to be based on what God's love is. But we need to decide. We need, we have, we should have decided that prior to the marriage. If you don't decide that prior to the marriage, if you don't decide the fact that you've decided to love that person is important to you, then you're going to have problems. You're going to have a lot of problems. So if we are in a marriage already, which I think most of us are, we need to understand that this fairy tale type of love can barely get us us get us past the honeymoon. You guys understand that? During honeymoon time, I mean, we're just, we both look at each other and we have a sparkle in our eye. Matt and Jasmine look at each other and you see these mirror images of each, of each one in their eyes. And that's good and that's wonderful and that's what stage they're at, but they've already made that important decision. They made a decision to love. They chose to love. They didn't fall into love. You guys see? There was a romantic aspect to it, but there's got to be a holy, godly aspect to it. So we've already come to the conclusion that things can get pretty intense in our relationships. There are times that we mess up so bad that just seeing that look from our spouse sends a chill up our spine. You guys ever done something so bad that you go, oh, you get, it's It's horrible. Let me give you an example. Our first few years of marriage, first five years of marriage, I didn't know the Lord. And I had wandering eyes. Guys, if you've ever been caught having wandering, wandering eyes, you know what that feels like. You know that your wife's mad for a reason. She won't tell you what it is, but you already know what it is. And you get this awful feeling in the pit of your stomach. And you know there's something wrong. And even though something didn't happen, you've already, you're already assuming that's why she's mad. And it, it, it's a horrible, horrible place to be. So we need, we need to be careful. It feels like, literally, it feels like someone's knocked the wind out of you. Okay? You find yourself in a daze. No longer walking on a straight, firm path, but now teetering and wobbling along a crooked path next to a cliff that leads down to a deep abyss. You ever had that feeling, guys? You ever had that feeling where you know, I must have done something, 
I know I'm going to hear about it, but in the meantime, I'm suffering for it. I'm suffering for it. I know it's kind of dramatic, but it's a yucky feeling, guys. Don't let yourselves get to that point, ever. Ever. Okay, guys? So for those who are not married yet, you need to have, you need to have foresight. Okay, and this is just another subject to get off the, the sad subject of messing up. Okay, for those of, those of us who are not married yet, you need to have foresight. You guys know what foresight means? It's kind of this ability to sit down and think about things and look towards the future and see what might happen. I really suggest you do that. Even those of you who are already married, start looking towards the future in your relationship. Try to abstain from doing things that might make you fall, might make you stumble. Um, Joseph and, and Matt, I'm talking to you guys on this one. Realize that right now she's the most beautiful creature your eyes have ever gazed upon. Okay? Realize that right now. Good. The face of an angel, the body of a goddess, right? And he, for you ladies, he is the image of a statuesque god. Okay, guys? The rock ain't got nothing on him. Okay, guys? But, okay, guys? But, look forward 20, 30, or 40 years. Okay? Is she going to look like your future mother-in-law? Or worse yet, is she going to look like your future father-in-law? These are all things to consider. Okay, guys? For those of us who have been married for a long time, we've realized that our girls are angels till death do us part. But those of us who are new, Joseph and Jessica, think about it. I'm, I'm serious, guys. I'm serious. Okay, now, imagine him, your future husband. Okay, Jessica? Imagine him. With a balding head, a fallen concave chest, a pop belly, wearing a wife beater shirt, with flabby arms, oh, and the best part yet, boxer shorts. Could you just imagine him sitting in the sofa, making this life-changing decision about your future? You know, we don't, we don't stop and, and, and consider these things. We don't. Okay? I was warned. I was warned. When I went to ask my, my future mother-in-law for my wife's hand in marriage, she said, you know what, mijo? She's a spitfire. She's the angriest one of the bunch. <laughs> and there was 10 in the family. Okay, I thought about it, and I considered it, and I jumped in headlong. And I don't regret it. Because I had the sense to think about it. But like Donna told Bob, she's going to marry him the first day. I told her on the first date. I'm going to marry you. She just laughed. She said, all the guys say that. 
See, and I and I told her, <laughs> and I told her, I'm not all the guys. I'm Mark. I said, and she'll be she'll be God's witness before you. I told her, in a year I'm gonna ask her hand in marriage, and six months later we're gonna get married. By the Lord's grace, that's what we did. I knew what I wanted. You guys all knew what you wanted. Do you guys know what you want? <laughs> I'm proud of you, Joseph. <laughs> Can you imagine Joseph sitting there in his wheelchair with a pop belly, a wife beater shirt, and sitting in his boxers? <laughs> right now, he's a good-looking young man. But we have to have that foresight. And we have to decide right now, I'm going to love him, I'm going to love her no matter what. That's what gives us the strength to get through it. That's what gives us the desire to keep going forward. I am so distraught and worried and hurt by the generations today. It's all about, let's try it out. Let's see how it fits. Man, you're a babe right now. So what do you do in 10, 20 years where she's, when she's had a few, two, three kids? I mean, she might look spectacular like my wife, but the most, most of them don't. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Okay, so if you guys have been married for a long time, obviously this doesn't apply to you because you're all exquisite. Okay, you're children of God. You're beautiful. You're handsome. So don't worry about the prior statements. That's just for Joseph and Jessica. (laughs) No, but but seriously, guys. Let's take a look at, at some biblical principles that will help us to step into love Step into love. That's what the name of the study was. Instead of falling into love. Going into love, going into a married relationship, it's got to be a conscious decision. It really does. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him and be with him the rest of my living days. The rest. If you can't go into a marriage thinking that way, don't bother don't give it a test run. What do you think your wife is? Right? What do you think your husband is? It's, it's, we have to really think. So Christian biblical marriage should be based on what kind of love, guys? Raise your hand if you know. Eros or agape? Raise your hand. Boy, oh, you guys are so obedient. <laughs> okay, uh, Jasmine, tell me what agape is. Um, unconditional love. Unconditional love. What else? What else can you describe it with? Uh, everlasting, uh, not selfish. I don't know, I don't know yeah, that's it. It's, it's a decision to love. Right? It's a decision to love. And it's best uh, illustrated, if we want to open your Bibles to Romans 5.8, guys. This is the best illustration of agape. And you say, 
I don't know. Eros means romantic love in the Greek. Why would I apply agape love in marriage? What do you think, John? Why would I apply agape instead of eros? feeling-based, huh? Okay. Feeling-based. It's, it's, forgive my word for saying it, but it's a cheap sentiment. And if we're still on sentiments, we're going to get hurt. We're going to get hurt. So I said they'll open to Romans 5, 8, right? Steve, you wanted to say something? No, I was just going to say agape is more of the soul mm-hmm. and arrows flesh. Right. Right. Romans 5, 8. It's a perfect uh, illustration of agape love, guys. Let me read it to you. Let me read it from verse 6. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Okay. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Agape love. And can you imagine sometimes we get tweaked and bothered because my husband left the socks in the shower? Man, in the shower? <laughs> Could you imagine? And it's fine. Get tweaks. Tell them about it. But to build a basis that you have irreconcilable differences on things like that. He, he just snores at night. I mean, he's gained 20 pounds since we got married. Uh, he didn't like that tuna casserole I made for him the other day. Is that agape? That's love based on cheap sentiment on coochie-coochie, on butterflies in the stomach, on a seventh-grade infatuation. Okay? We're above that. We need to keep going and find what God's level is. And that's agape. Agape. So if you haven't practiced this kind of love and your love is still based on uh, prerequisites and conditions, it's time to start especially if you consider yourself to be a Christian. 1st lesson we learn from Christ is what? Forgiveness. Such a foundation, such a basis for a successful marriage, being able to forgive and asking for forgiveness. So we should have started this type of love the day we proposed. If we haven't practiced this type of love from the time we got married, it's time to start each and every moment of each and every day. If you already do this, then you're in, in it to win it. I, I don't know if I, I'll, I'm, I'll go ahead and mention where I got that phrase. Um, uh, Carlos, Carlos Alvarez use that phrase to describe 
how my son was pursuing his daughter. He said, you know what, bro? Uh, he's in it to win it. I hope we have the most minute desire to be in it to win it. To go the whole way, the whole nine yards, until we're finished. Pursue that. Agape love, real love, genuine love, unconditional love, a decision to love. If you're in it, to win it, you're, you're there. Uh, let's read John 15, 13. Richie, if you can read that. Just another principle I'd like to discuss. John 15, 13. Uh-huh. Okay, stop and think. The first thing we think about is being a knight in shining armor, diving in front of that car, pulling out that driving child, that drowning child, uh, stepping in front of the bullet, giving your life for someone else. That's kind of sort of the idea, but to be honest with you, any good citizen might do that. Anyone sees someone in danger and they might throw themselves in front of that pit bull, in front of that bullet, in front of that oncoming car to save someone else. It's almost, almost instinctful, I would say. It's something of God in us already. But let's stop and, and, and think about what that, that, that passage might mean. Who's the only one that could save us literally by giving his life? Jesus, by dying for us. Now stop and think about this. When you consider your spouse, how do you die for them? By dying for them in life. I don't know if you guys understand that. By living a life, putting them first and yourself second. That's dying. Do we get that? It's talking about that's the closest friend you can have. Who else is closer than, than your wife? No one. <laughs> what was that? Mother. I hope someone didn't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back to Genesis 2 and study that right now <laughs> oh my goodness so give give your life by dying to yourself you guys understand that put yourself second uh, we need to know that marriage is not a contract it is a God-ordained institution. We're going to Genesis 2. Who can read that for me? Bob Young. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Out of the ground, 
Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Abraham to see Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the field, right? Keep going. But Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man and said, And Adam said, Now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Pastor Ray, what's the most <coughs> outstanding concept in that passage for you? Well, an unconditional acceptance of God's perfect provision. Okay. Amen. What do you think, Greg? The two should become one. Okay. Betty just told him what to say. <laughs> that proves that they're one. <laughs> what do you think, Rich? What stands out there for you? <laughs> he said the two become one. Amen. Not to disagree with anyone, but that one's my favorite part too. It's just the fact that it's God-ordained. God's vested interest in His children. Okay? No man thought of this. God saw what was needed. He loved His Son. He loved Him so much, He gave Him His daughter. That's an amazing thing, to see that God takes time to have a vested interest in each one of our lives, each and every one. None of us are cookie cutters. None of our wives are the same. He saw what was needed and he provided. For the God of the universe, do you think he might better, have better things to do? Maybe, but this goes to prove he's God. He's capable of everything and anything. But the fact that he would take time to make us as men and then take special care, because he formed, he formed, if we read this carefully in the Hebrew, he formed the woman. To us, he just grabbed a piece of mud and blew air into it and we were made. But he took special care with his crowning glory of nature and gave us these beautiful women, these beautiful creatures. I'm making so many brownie points today. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all true, guys. It's all true. God is amazing. 
So marriage is not a contract. It's a God-ordained institution. We see that, right? It is a privilege we need to highly esteem and forever protect, okay? Not in the media, not by protesting, but first and foremost in the way we live, in our obedience to the Father, in our daily testimony. That's how we convince people what marriage is all about. I mean, to ludicrous... Forgive me for saying this, but to argue with someone that marriage should be only between a woman and a, and a man is ludicrous. The, that shouldn't even enter into the conversation. Okay, the other part, without offending anyone, is just deviant behavior. It shouldn't be mentioned in the same sentence. But the way we convince people of this God-ordained institution is by living the true life living a godly life, showing that we are willing to give our lives for our, for our wives. Amen? Amen? So it's a daily testimony. It's a commitment to God and to our spouse for all of our life here on earth. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Two are better than one. That's actually nine. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, him being the enemy. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's kind of an amazing statement in the Old Testament. Who's the third strand in that cord? It's the Lord. We say we need to have a Christ-centered relationship, a Christ-centered marriage. That's proof. Okay, guys? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, with Christ in our lives, in our marriages, through His grace and His power, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there is no reason, no reason whatsoever, no irreconcilable difference that will separate us. Always, always with Christ at that third strand, that third cord. Amen? Amen. Another principle, it says in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things... Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Where's Pastor Manny? Did you hear that one, brother? What do you think on that? Some people take this uh, text, this passage, and they, and they don't understand it. They think we're saying, turn the other way. When it says, love will cover a multitude of sins, does that, does that mean we turn the other way? What do you think, Veronica?
you, you've got it. It means being loving enough to want to smooth it over. You don't look at him and say, that's fine, Rich, do what you want. No, you say, let's talk it out. I love you, I forgive you. That's the love that covers a multitude of sins. It's not saying, oh, you're excused, keep doing it. In no means does it mean that. In no way. But it means having the sufficient love to want to work it out. How many of you guys have stayed up past midnight trying to work something out? I hope all of you. My wife and I made a deal after the first five years of marriage when I finally woke up that we would never go to sleep mad. Never, never, never. Oh my goodness. Don't wait till the next day. It's going to fester, it's going to boil, and it's going to erupt. Take care of it now. If she's half asleep, just make sure she's listening. Shake her a little bit. Right, mija? Is that right, mija? Are you okay now? Do you love me? Yeah, <laughs> You know, but if you get that much, man, it's a victory. It's a victory. Okay? Love covers a multitude of sins. You guys get that? Pastor Manny said exactly. Agape, that forgiveness, that ability to apply God's truth to our own lives. Ephesians 4, 2-3, it says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Gail, you seem like the intellectual type. What do you think? <laughs> Read it. Read it again and see what you think. Persevere. Persevere. In what manner? Persevere in... The first part of the text tells you. In gentleness. Lowliness and gentleness. What does does that entail? Humility, right? We need to be humble. We can't hold things over each other. We got to realize that we're made of the same flesh, the same materials, and we're bound to make the same mistakes. If you bring out the archives and you say, Laura, you say to Ray, remember back in 2012? What, you remember what happened, honey? <laughs> but Mija, I thought you forgave me for that one. Yeah, but I had to bring it out on a special occasion. <laughs> no. Guys, in lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This, this next one really hit me between the eyes. You wouldn't think so by looking at me, but I'm kind of harsh sometimes. It says, Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Colossians 3.19 Who can tell me, Steve, <laughs> you I kept looking down. <laughs> what can you tell me about the woman's condition as far as ten- stencil strength? Stencil strength. You know what stencil strength is? A stencil strength is. Yeah. If you're an engineer, you'd know.
forgive her. I don't go to bed angry. And if I do, I wake up fine. Or within an hour, it's gone. And I'm fine. I think what Steve is trying to say is that she is the frailer, weaker right. vessel, right? <laughs> well, I'm putting words in, words in your mouth then. Because I know with Eva, it doesn't take much. Okay? I'll come back from work in a bad mood, or um, she hits me at the wrong moment, and I say something that might, other words, other ways, been said in a different way or with different tone, but I say it in a manner that is harsh, and I shut her down. And then I go, oh, I did it. And I look, and I can just see it. And she's hurt. Okay? If I were to say that to John in a harsh tone, he'd just say, hey, back off, bro, and we're, we're fine. But you do that with your wife, and you've hurt her deeply. Women are different. And men are boneheads. Okay? I've, I'm sorry, Joseph. You're new to this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true don't be harsh I, it happens it still happens and I'm not even thinking when I do it most of the time but I talk to her in a manner and she'll say Mijo you hurt me and when she says you hurt me uh, I, I count myself a fool I count myself or Pastor Henry, a knucklehead. Really. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them, guys. Ephesians 5.21. This is a precursor to that 5.22 through 28 passage, right, guys? It says 5.21 says, Submitting to one another in fear of God. Submitting to who? We always start the study on verse 22, because what does verse 22 say? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But, read 521. What does it say, Craig? Submit to one another in the fear of God. Submit to one another. Does that cancel the fact that you're the head of the household? Does that zero you out and say, oh, we're on an equal playing field? Well, we are. We just have different roles to play, guys. Different order. And we can't use that order to make our wives succumb. Right? The thing about authority is that it's always delegated from above. If we've got some authority in our household and we consider ourselves the heads of the household, it's not anything you did, bro. It's not your wisdom. It's not your strength not your power. It's the fact that God gave it to you. Handle it with care. And ladies, please do submit. Does that make you less? Jessica, what do you think? When you submit to Joseph, does that make you less? I have to work on it. <laughs> huh? I have to work on it. You have to work on it. Okay, she's honest. What do you think, Rosie? If you submit to John, does that make you less? Does it make you feel less? No. Honestly, this is still a problem, even amongst, so. even amongst Christian women, guys. It is. But that means as men, we need to get more wisdom. 
Because as soon as you start talking about this at a marriage conference, the ladies kind of cringe. They kind of get you know, antsy. And I'm sorry, ladies, but that's not, not the intention of God. The Father wants to have a pattern. Who's the head of the church? Christ Jesus. Do we put ourselves above him? Not at all. Not at all. As the head of the church, that was delegated to him by the Father. Okay. But he lovingly, tenderly shepherds all of us. Okay? We need to tenderly and lovingly shepherd our wives and our kids. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Arturo, I haven't talked to you today. Ephesians, right? 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What do you think? Explain. He gave, he gave the ultimate gift, right? That's what you're talking about. We need to be able to give the ultimate gift. It's, it's kind of a, a catch-22. We're the heads of the house, but at the same time, we need to be willing to give of our lives completely to them. And we pray that our wives give completely to us. One thing about marriage, it is not, I repeat, it is not a 50-50 cooperation. That's not the agreement. The agreement is, Joseph, you give 100%. Really? Yes, sir. <laughs> and how much do you give, Jessica? 100%. We give unto each other our whole life, guys. I give 100, you give 100, and we're covered by who? Who's that third strand? He gives more than 100. Amen? So just in closing, guys, there's a couple of quotes that I that found interesting. I'm going to read them to you. They're on marriage, obviously. It says, Marriage is an exclusive union between one man and one woman, publicly acknowledged, permanently sealed, and physically consummated. Quote, unquote, that's by Selwyn Hughes. And the last one we may have heard before says, God created marriage. No government subcommittee envisioned it. No social organization developed it. Marriage was conceived and born in the mind and heart of God, Max Lucado. Amen.